This is Yudah Kohen of the Vision Movement, and you are listening to the Next Stage Podcast. I hope you've been enjoying our podcast and benefiting from the unique perspectives we offer on Jewish identity, history, Torah, decolonization, revolutionary theory, political organizing, philosophy, Israel's complicated relationship with the United States, our conflict with the Palestinians, and really a whole range of issues confronting the Jewish people in this unique and tumultuous chapter of history. One of our goals for this podcast, and for Vision Magazine in general, is to really encourage listeners and readers to step out of their political comfort zones and start relating to contemporary issues and current events through an understanding of Israel's ancient worldview and historic mission. This means taking the time before formulating an opinion on any particular issue to ask yourself some really important questions, like, what are the goals of Jewish history? What's already been achieved? what remains to be accomplished, and what obstacles stand in the way. These questions can help us to better contextualize whatever issue we're engaging within the context of Israel's broader story. So we really hope that this show has been useful in helping listeners to develop a vision for what Jewish liberation can look like today. If you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe to the Next Stage podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, tune in and or Spotify. And please leave a rating and review because that can really help us get our message out to a much wider audience. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at visionmag.org and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Being that Yom Kippur, or the holiest day on our calendar, is just around the corner, I've decided to share with our listeners a class I taught at Machun Mir about seven years ago and how to really maximize the experience we're meant to have on this day. So you'll be hearing a recording of that class in just a moment. As always, your feedback is greatly appreciated. The world is clearly a very different place than it was a year ago, and we should assume that it will continue to change. We're really living through an amazing and significant period of history, and that really offers us the opportunity, perhaps even the responsibility, to meaningfully participate. On that note, I want to wish all of our listeners a Shana Tova and a Gmar Chatima Tova going into this exciting new year of Tav Shin Pe Aleph, 5781, according to the way our people have been counting the years for a very long time. Understand Yom Kippur is not possible unless we can understand ourselves. So our basic theme in this class is the understanding that all human beings are essentially characters in the drama of history. Right? And that's important. We're all essentially characters in a book that uh, Hashem writes. It's not the only metaphor we have for Hashem, that he's the author to a book in which we're characters, uh, but it's one of the metaphors we have in relating to Hashem. And it's good that we have several different metaphors 
in order to uh, illustrate our connection to Hashem because it's also good not to get stuck on any one metaphor. So all human beings are essentially characters in the drama of history, in the story of human history. And all these characters are being played by actors that we call souls. And these souls, these nishamot, are really who we are. The real inner essence of who we are. The character is not really who we are. Like, I'm not really Yuda Kohen. Yuda Kohen is a character that I play in a story. Right? But I am really just a spark, an aspect uh, of this greater reality that we call Hashem. This timeless, ultimate reality without end that uh, creates all, sustains all, empowers all, and loves all. This infinite whole that we're all a part of. Uh, in the Hebrew language, we have several names, several terms, which refer to this ultimate reality. The one that's, uh, some of these terms are terms we try not to say, you know, too often. But out of those that we do say, the most prevalent in modern times is probably Hashem, which translates literally into the name. So we are all characters in a story played by souls. Those souls are pieces of this ultimate timeless reality without end that we call Hashem. So understanding that will help us to better understand what's going on in Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur is sometimes referred to as a mikvah in time. Now what's a mikvah all about? A mikvah is basically, it's got to be pure natural water. And a person who immerses in a mikvah, it's a ritual bath, and a person who immerses in this ritual bath has to make sure that there's absolutely no separation between them and the water. That they have to immerse completely in the water as if they're part of the water, right? Because the act of, of immersing in a mikvah is really an act of just completely re-immersing into this bigger reality that we call Hashem. Right? That's why a mikvah is called, like it's purifying water because we're really purifying ourselves. We're kind of cleaning the soul by completely immersing, making sure there's no intermediaries, no impediments, no barriers, and going completely into the water and becoming one with the water, becoming one with, with our source, becoming one with Hashem. And so Yom Kippur as a mikvah in time, it's really this day that we pass through once a year that purifies us, atones for our transgressions, and offers us a glimpse of our lives and our choices and our relationship to Hashem from a divine perspective. Right? Usually most of the year we see our lives and our connection to Hashem and the choices we make from our human perspective. Right? But on Yom Kippur, we're really offered a glimpse of ourselves from the perspective of Hashem. Small glimpse. But it's really a, the day itself, this metaphysical alteration of reality that happens once a year that we call Yom Kippur, is experienced properly if understood properly. Right, Because our ability to experience things is dependent on our ability to perceive those things. For example, Hashem. The ability of a person to experience Hashem in their lives, the ability of a person to experience Hashem in history, is very much dependent on their ability to perceive Hashem. That's why brachot are so important. 
the very act of saying Baruch Ata, right? In addition, by the way, in addition to being a protest against taking things for granted, because that's what a bracha essentially is. A bracha is an act of protest against taking things for granted. But in addition to that, it impacts our perception. The words Baruch Ata actually mean how abundantly present you are in our lives. So when we make a bracha, whether it's on a piece of fruit, or whether it's in part of our tefillah, we're saying how abundantly present you are in our lives. Hashem, the timeless ultimate reality without end, who provided us with this fruit, or who is in gathering the exiles, or who is building Yushalayim. Right? It's the acknowledgement that we perceive Hashem filling our lives. And that we acknowledge that, uh, that it is He who heals all sick, who builds Jerusalem, who ingathers the exiles, who provides us with sustenance, etc., etc., that everything comes from Hashem. And the more we're able to perceive Hashem, the more we're actually able to experience Him. And the more we're actually able to experience Hashem in our lives, really, the happier we are. The way it essentially works is the more a person is able, the more the character in the story is able to link up to the soul. And the more the character in the story is actually working towards what the soul really wants, the more satisfied a person will be with life. Right? You know, we talk a lot, especially this time of year, about reward and punishment. Right? And Rosh Hashanah especially is a time when we get into this mindset of relating to God as this all-powerful king that's judging us and we're separate from. And a lot of the mindset in the liturgy, the tefillot of Rosh Hashanah, kind of set the stage for this perception of Hashem as this king separate from us who is judging us and is going to either reward or punish us. Who is going to either write us in this book or write us in that book. The reality is, though, first of all, it's 100% necessary for us to get in that mindset. We need to be able to get into this mindset of perceiving Hashem as king. It's also another metaphor, by the way, just like author, and just like sometimes father. King is another way in which we perceive Hashem. It's another way in which we relate to Hashem, and it's a necessary way to relate to Hashem. It's another aspect of our relationship that He is our king and we are His subject. The problem, I think, in a lot of the Jewish world is they get stuck on that one metaphor, right? That a lot of the Jewish world gets stuck on the kind of king-subject relationship, and that's not our only relationship. But it's a necessary relationship for Rosh Hashanah. Because Rosh Hashanah is essentially an opportunity. At Yom Kippur as well, this, these 10 days of tshuva are essentially an opportunity to clean our soul. And in order to clean our soul, we have to have this relationship with Hashem that He's a king, we're the subject, and He is judging us. And we realize that even in, in the sense of Him being king, He's not a king like a human ruler, like a tyrant. Whereas the more he rules over us and the more we accept that yoke, you know, the smaller we become. It's the opposite, that this is the king beyond kings. This is a king that's so much bigger than anything we could perceive that anybody who subjugates himself to that king is actually uplifted, is actually elevated along with uh, that divine king. Uh, but still we're relating to him as king. And we're concerning ourselves with ideas of reward and punishment, but the truth is real reward and real punishment are our closeness to Hashem. Meaning perceiving Hashem in our lives and behaving 
as if we're participating in his plan, behaving like we're a partner with him, that he's working through us, and that we're experiencing him in everything that we do, that is the reward. That's Olam Abba right here. It says, you know, schar mitzvah, mitzvah. Like the reward of a mitzvah is mitzvah. Meaning that the mitzvah itself, the experience of that mitzvah is the reward for the mitzvah. Because when we perform a mitzvah, we experience a sense of closeness to Hashem. And if somebody's really sensitive to this, they know what I'm talking about, that sometimes we'll even uh, perform a mitzvah uh, and suddenly experience like a burning sensation behind our eyes, you know, like, like we're about to cry. You know, like uh, when I was growing up, the drug ecstasy was big. And ecstasy was a drug that would make a person feel so happy, like they're about to cry from the happiness. Like that was like this experience for two, three hours. And that's very similar to the feeling, you know, of somebody sensitive to, to themselves and to their relationship with Hashem, and they really are, are living a life where they experience Hashem in their lives all the time, the mitzvah gives them that feeling, that they're happy to the point that they feel like they're about to cry, like their eyes water. And that's the schar the mitzvah, that sense of closeness, that sensation of closeness to Hashem, that experience of Hashem, you know, of us immersing in Hashem, kind of the way we immerse in the mikvah, that we're, we're immersing in Hashem's oneness and basking in His love. And that's really the reward, the true reward of, of a mitzvah, whereas the punishment for transgression is a sense of distance, is a sense of alienation, a sense of anguish. Because the more distant we feel from Hashem in our lives, the more uh, disconnected we feel from our real selves, the more disconnected the character feels from the actor playing the character. And therefore, when the character that we play in the story feels distant from the actor playing the character, there's an alienation, there's an anguish, and um, there's a despair. And that is the punishment. Meaning that experience of despair is the punishment for transgressions. So the goal of life is, in a sense, to feel close to Hashem, to come close to Hashem, to constantly be moving in a trajectory where we experience more and more closeness to Hashem. We're put in this world specifically to participate in a story, meaning we're playing these characters for a reason, and we're living at this time in history for a reason, meaning that this is all about participating in God's plan for history, participating in the redemption process. That's essentially why we're all here. And the more we participate, remember that the struggle is more important than the victory. The experience of every day participating in the struggle to liberate our country, to revive the Hebrew language, or just us as individuals learning the Hebrew language, uh, to participate in advancing the national aspirations of the Jewish people, which ultimately overflow and, and just become no longer national aspirations, but really universal aspirations for all of mankind, for all of creation. The more we participate in that story, whether or not we live to taste the victory, the more we are fulfilling our function in this world, the more we are participating with Hashem in bringing history to its ultimate goal, and the more we are experiencing Hashem working through us. Right? That's why tefillah is so important. Essentially, those 19 requests that are in the Shemona Esrei, in the weekday Shemona Esrei, those are the things that the soul wants. And the characters we play have a mitzvah to participate in that act three times a day, not because we're supposed to just repeat the same monotonous liturgy three times a day. It's not supposed to become stale. And if you relate to tefillah properly, it never becomes stale. Because remember, 
Litpalel is a reflexive term. We're talking to ourselves, right? We have to, we have to actually say the words in a whisper so we can hear, but nobody else can, because we're talking to ourselves. It's essentially we're telling ourselves what we really want. And tefillah is essentially the blueprint for all the things that we are praying for in that Shmona Esrei are the national aspirations of the Jewish people. And we see it starts very personal. Towards the middle, it becomes very national. And then towards the end, it becomes universal. Right? Because that's essentially the blueprint of our revolution in this world. And the ideal is that a person who really internalizes these things, the person who really tells himself, this is what I want. I want refuah. I want kibbutz galiot. I want the land to bear its fruits. The, when I say kibbutz galiot, just for people don't understand that the Jewish exiles return to their homeland. I want the restoration of justice. Whether we whether we understand justice to mean the Jewish people's ability to exercise sovereignty over our homeland, that's justice. Whether we're talking about social justice in our society, which is still something we need to fight for. Whether we're talking about the restoration of the Sanhedrin, right, as the ruling judicial legal body in in our society. We want justice, oh, that we want the, the plans of our enemies to be thwarted, that we want Jerusalem to be rebuilt, that we want peace in the world. These are the things that should not only occupy our tefillot, the purpose of them occupying our tefillot is that we explain to ourselves, we reveal to ourselves that this is what we really want on the inside, this is what our souls really crave, really yearn for, really thirst for. And therefore, between Shachwit and Mincha, this is what we should be fighting for. The character in the story should be fighting for those goals. Between Shachwit and Mincha, between Mincha and Arvit, between Arvit and Shachwit the next day, we should be dedicating our lives to achieving at least one of these goals. And that's why when we encounter Jews, especially in Chutzlaretz, especially in the diaspora, but also here, even Jews who learn Torah, who keep the mitzvot, we find despair because many people are alienated from themselves. And even people who engage in tefillah three times a day, yet in their quote-unquote real life, right? When they're living as, let's say, Americans, and they're chasing money all day. Or they're, you know, not necessarily for, for negative reasons. They want to provide for their families. They want their kids to have nice things. They want their wives to be happy. These are positive. This is important. But when life becomes about simply family and money, which is what I think in Western society is considered good values, right? The values of a good person in Western society, somebody who cares about their family, their bank account, and doesn't bother anybody else. That's essentially a good person in Western civilization today, a moral person, right? So, but such a person, a Jew who's living that life, who lives their life just chasing money or chasing, uh, you know, shiduchim or whatever it is, just the personal, is going to live in despair, is going to live in anguish because they're alienated from the soul. The exception to this often are, by the way, Jews who become doctors. That's a, a notable exception, not the only exception, but it's a notable exception because a Jew who knows nothing about Torah, nothing about mitzvot, is living in chutzlarts, but has dedicated his life to refuah, is still expressing his soul on some level. So a person who expresses themselves, their inner selves, a person who's able to express their soul, the neshama, is living a meaningful life is experiencing fulfillment and is experiencing closeness to Hashem even if they don't know what Hashem means. But a person, even if they're learning Torah and they're Shomer Mitzvot, 
but they're not expressing a soul, meaning they're not actively fighting in their lives to achieve the goals that we talk about in the Shemona Esrei, then they're essentially, their soul's blocked, and they're experiencing anguish. They're experiencing alienation from themselves. So while Rosh Hashanah is our two days in which we focus on this kind of monotheistic picture of God, as this king who's judging us, you know, Yom Kippur transitions into this more penentheist picture of Hashem as this infinite whole we all exist within. And it's a mikvah in time we immerse into Hashem's oneness and we receive a glimpse of reality, of history, of our lives, our choices from a divine perspective. Meaning we understand that um, even though from our perspective there are many negative things that take place, right? The Gemara teaches that when something good happens in our lives, we say, Tov metiv, right? We say, Bracha Tov metiv. And when something negative happens, you know, we say, right? Blessed is the true judge. But the Gemara says that in the future, we're going to say on all the negative things, Hatov metiv, right? That Hashem is good and does good. Because we'll realize when we get to that world to come, when we get to that divine perspective that we receive a glimpse of on Yom Kippur, we realize that all of the negative things throughout history were necessary points in the road towards the redemption. That everything that took place, all of the things we thought were negative on a personal level, on a national level, on a human level, were actually necessary leading mankind towards good. Right? It's really important. And while that's true in the broad sense for history and Jewish history, especially with all the atrocities that we've suffered, and it's difficult for some people to internalize that all of those difficult things and terrible things that our people have suffered were actually necessary steps towards achieving the redemption of mankind and the goal of human history. It's also true in our personal lives that while we possess from our perspective free will to go against what the Torah tells us to do, to transgress the Torah, we're never able to oppose Hashem's will. We can do other than His will, but we can't oppose His will. And we can't undermine His plan. And everything we do, when we see from a divine perspective our own actions, we realize that even when we're transgressing the Torah, even those acts can be recycled back into Hashem's plan for the world, for history, for our lives. That everything is moving in a direction where it's for the ultimate good. Not that we want to transgress, meaning this isn't the license to go and transgress, because when we transgress, we experience that alienation, we experience that sense of disconnection from Hashem, and that's a pretty terrible feeling. I mean, you know, I think most people in the world, unfortunately, today, especially the Western world, are experiencing that, especially Jews. And we often uh, turn to drugs and alcohol and, and other distractions in order to distract us or kind of fill that void, you know, band-aid the pain. But those things don't work. I mean, I'm not against a person drinking alcohol or whatever, as long as they're not doing it in order to cover up the anguish, that they're not doing it as a substitute for connection to their true selves. If a person is connected to their true self, in theory, I think they could do anything. And it'll still be from the perspective of somebody who's really connected to their inner self and somebody who's really attached to Hashem in a deep, deep way, but uh, that's not a lot of people. 
And most people who are already experiencing that don't really need any of these substances and don't really have time in their lives for these things. But in theory, I mean, you see a lot of, uh, especially in the Hasidic world, you know, a lot of heavy drinking. Right? And I think that that's probably cool because that drinking has nothing to do with trying to fill a void. Then drinking has nothing to do with trying to cover up the pain and the, and the anguish of the disconnection from Hashem. It's really just to enhance that feeling of connection they already have. So on Yom Kippur, we really understand how all of the things that we regret and should regret are being recycled back in to Hashem's plan for our lives and for the greater story of the Jewish people and all of humanity. Any questions? Uh, so you, you, um, you said that uh, during, I mean, what I, from what I understood, you said that during uh, the period of like Rosh, uh, Rosh Hashanah and the Tefillah, it kind of, uh, exi- it, it's kind of meant to like exemplify our, our relationship to Hashem at the level of the character, meaning that we are subjects to Hashem, our, uh, our king. Okay. And I didn't say that exactly. No, but no, 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 I, mean, I didn't that's say that's as a character, but that's a good, I think that's a good observation. Maybe that's true. Okay, so yeah, so the relationship between the character, right, as if we're disconnected. as yeah. it, Right, because the problem with, the, we live in a world of illusions, where we think we're separate from each other, right? And that's probably the biggest evil of uh, Western thinking, is that it creates this illusion of separateness, that you and me and you and you and you and you are all separate from one another, because we all live in these sacks of flesh, which appear to be separate from each other, right? And as a result of that illusion of separateness, we relate to each other as completely separate entities. And we relate to Hashem as a completely separate entity. An entity that might be, you know, more powerful than we are. An entity that we have to subjugate ourselves under, but not as if it's this reality we're a part of. Not that we're one with each other or one with Hashem. So where we're trying to bring the world, and this is achieved through the finite vehicles of the mitzvot, uh, specifically the mitzvot to establish a kingdom, a Jewish kingdom in Eretz Yisrael and build a Beit HaMikdash in Yerushalayim, that we are trying to bring the entire world to the self-awareness of ourselves as unique aspects of Hashem in this world that we're all connected, that we're all part of one infinite organism beyond even that, and that we have nothing, you know, this... Civilization as it exists today, you know, capitalist, the capitalist world, Western world, it's all about one person benefiting at the expense of the other, as if we're separate from each other and one person can exploit the other in order to get ahead. But when we arrive at this recognition and awareness of our innate oneness, we'll see that that's ridiculous. How can you, it's just like in, in the Talmud Yushami, the Jerusalem Talmud, Nidharim, you know, they have this story about the guy who's, who's cutting meat and he slips and he accidentally cuts his left hand. And then the question is asked, is the left hand now going to pick up the knife and take revenge on the right hand, right? This is brought on the prohibition of taking revenge against your fellow Jew, right? So the Jerusalem Talmud brings this story to illustrate how ridiculous it is, right? Because you would think the Torah is our nature, right? The truth is we know the Avot, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, the sons of Yaakov, right? They lived the Torah before the Torah, right? The Nefesh Chaim teaches they lived the Torah before there was the book. And they were able to live the Torah before they were given the book because the Torah is our nature. 
And they were so healthy that they were in touch with their nature without needing the book to tell them how to live according to nature. Just like we can breathe without a book telling us to breathe, our hearts beat without a book telling our hearts to beat, without machines to help us. Unfortunately, there are people in the world who do require assistance in breathing or the heart beating, etc. But Baruch Hashem, I think we're all healthy enough. Our hearts beat, our, our body functions in a healthy way, but we're not as healthy as our patriarchs and matriarchs. Because our patriarchs and matriarchs were able to live the entire Torah, the mitzvot, as nature. Without a book, without like having to check the halakha for the, they just, it was just their natural inclination, right? So if the whole Torah is really our nature, then it seems to some people that the prohibition against taking revenge doesn't make sense because it's so natural if somebody feels wronged, right? The natural inclination is to want to take revenge, is to want to take vengeance, is to want to wrong that person back to get even, right? That's, I think, the natural inclination. So what the Talmud Yushalmi is coming to tell us is that a Jew taking revenge against his brother is just as ridiculous as a guy's left hand taking revenge on his right hand. Because if we understood that we are all essentially one, right, that we're all essentially united at the source, we're all branches of the same tree, then you don't take revenge. Why would the left hand take revenge against the right? Why would one limb of, of the body take revenge against another limb? So that metaphor is specifically referring to Israel. Because while every human being in the world possesses a soul, the Jewish people actually share a soul, right? We are Knesset Israel. Knesset Israel is this giant neshama that manifests itself in this world through millions of bodies, millions of people in space and time called the Jewish people. But we're all branches of the same bigger tree. We're all branches of this bigger entity, this organism called Klal Israel or Knesset Israel. And if you want to dig deeper, we would find that we're united with everybody in creation, all human beings and everything that exists, because everything exists within this greater reality we call Hashem. But uh, at the very minimal level, we need to understand that we're one with all of Am Yisrael, that all of the Jewish people are really branches of the same tree, are really extensions of the same source, are really just expressions of the same neshama that expresses itself in this world as the Jewish people, which has a mission to, you know, to bring this world to perfection according to Hashem's divine plan. And that's also part of what we get to glimpse in Yom Kippur. So Bezrat Hashem will all have, uh, will all merit to experience this Yom Kippur, a glimpse of the divine uh, perspective of our lives, of history, of Am Yisrael's national life. Not only Yom Kippur, but even that we could bring a little bit of that perception out of Yom Kippur and carry it with us throughout the year.